0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord God, I thank you so much for this time this morning. I ask that you would take this time and take These words that I've put together, Lord, and you would do something incredible. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, I know that you've been preparing us for this moment to hear from you, Lord. Now is the time. Lord, we have here people who have ears to hear. Lord, please speak to us this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Just in quick review, you know in the last couple of chapters of Matthew, we saw that Jesus went out to be tempted so that he could resist the temptation so that he would fulfill the prophecy that he would be tempted in all ways, but yet not sin. We see him come back then and begin to start to call Some of his followers, we saw him go to Peter and Andrew and James and John um, while they were fishing. And he said, come and I'll make you fishers of men. Um, And uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about Jesus being, uh, or the boat being a picture of Jesus and the ark being a picture of Jesus. And that was a really fun message. Um, And so that brings us to this place um, in Matthew chapter 5 um called uh 567 the sermon on the mount um and and, and it's been been said that is probably the best sermon that anyone has ever preached i mean well it's coming right out of the words of jesus so i'm not sure anyone's going to be like no i did one a couple years ago and it was like way better <laughs> um but we're going to take a look over the next several months <laughs> you know, weeks, I'm sure, uh, of the Sermon uh, on the Mount. Um, so uh, what we're going to see here is, as it ends, as, as chapter four ends, we see that um, Jesus was spent a lot of time in this particular instance, like healing people, laying his hands on and healing them of their um, of their afflictions, of their sicknesses, of their, of their physical needs. He was addressing their physical needs. But we know that that was not Jesus' primary reason for being here. We know that his primary reason was to preach the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. That was what he was about. But Jesus was full of compassion. And so he was also tending to the physical needs of these crowds. And so these people were coming in from all over the place. It looks, it says, in, and look at chapter four, verse twenty-three. And Jesus went out about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel. That's his main ministry, um, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And then his fame went through all out all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. See, his primary goal was to preach, but he also healed some of their physical needs. And the fame of him went out so much so that they were coming in from from hundreds of miles. They would walk a hundred miles to come to this guy, Jesus, who they had heard was healing people, healing them, uh, f- f- curing their sicknesses and their afflictions, casting out demons. And so people were coming from all over the place and the multitude was growing and growing because they thought that if I go to this guy, I can get what I need from him physically. And Jesus, being gracious and merciful, did what they needed. He healed them physically, but that was not his primary Focus. You see in verse 25 of chapter 4, it says, "...great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan." thousands were coming to him. In fact, it would be like this. Jesus would lay his hands on someone and heal their affliction, and they would praise the Lord and move away, and then the next person would be right there in line. And it was just person after person after person, a sea of humanity before Jesus, all coming with physical needs that he addressed and and healed them right there but in chapter 5, look at it. It says, in seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain where he was seated. Wh- where he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now, that word seeing, it says, imagine, we look at this, we say Jesus looked out and just saw a huge group of people who all just needed physical healing. But the word seeing there, it's different than just, I can look out and see a room full of people. That word seeing there means that he looked with... Um, spiritual eyes, or our spiritual discernment. That's a specific word that, Jesus, that it says that Jesus was able to look out and basically see the hearts of the people who were there. And in that, he was able to discern some of the people here are only here for what they can get from me physically. But there are some here who want to hear from me and to learn from me. And so he changes gears in chapter five. He says he sees the hearts of the people and discerns that there are some here that want to hear. They want more than just physical healing. They want spiritual healing. And so he says that he goes up on the mountain and sits down, which means what he does is he goes away from the crowds and goes off uphill a little bit Partly because I think he wants to have his voice amplified, but also because I think what he's wanting to say is, if you want to hear what I have to say, you're going to have to come away a little bit. From the crowd that is just looking for what they can get from me physically in terms of healing. And so he moves away to see who will come to hear what it is that Jesus now is going to tell them. And so when it says here that his disciples came, don't be confused. He's not talking about his 12 apostles. All right? Disciples simply means one who is following. So he's saying anyone that considered themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, not just a recipient of his healing, but a follower of Jesus Christ, those are the ones that followed him up this mountain and were ready to hear what it was that he had to say. And then it says that he sat down and opened his mouth. Now, if you were a rabbi at that time, that was a signal that you were about to teach. You would sit down and all of your your disciples would stand up. Y'all fail? No, okay, three, like four of you, four. <laughs> we got to reverse somehow. That's it. <laughs> but I heard somebody say when Jesus opens his mouth, it's time for us to shut ours, right? You know, in fact, we're supposed to be really excellent listeners because how many of you have two mouths and one ear? God gave us two ears and one mouth that we should be better at listening. So when it says he opened his mouth and taught them, they would be quiet because they knew, oh, the teacher is going to teach us. And now he's talking to people who have already chosen to be followers of Jesus. It's very important to remember that he's talking to those who have chosen to be followers of Jesus Christ. What I would call that nowadays is a Christian. This isn't a message to the world who is unbelieving. This, what we're going to see here, is a message to those who are believers, those who have chosen to be followers of Jesus. Well, that includes me and I hope all of you. But I'm not going to assume all of you are believers. But that's what this message is this morning. This is the message that Jesus is going to give them um, to his disciples, or those who have chosen to be followers of Jesus, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is going to actually go through, and later on, we're going to see some of the things, not today, but later on, we're going to see some of the things that Jesus tells them to do are going to be like, well, frankly, like impossible for them to imagine doing. He's going to say, oh, well, you've heard that you should love your neighbor um, and, and hate your enemy." But I tell you, love your enemy. Do good to those who hurt you. Pray for those who persecute you. And, you and, and any normal person would be like, what? I'm supposed to hate, I'm supposed to love the people that hate me and treat them. Well, how could I possibly do that? I can't do that. He's going to tell them that they're going to need to be able to do some things in service to him that would otherwise be impossible were it not for the first things that we're going to talk about today. Which are called the Beatitudes. The first few verses, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, are what are commonly called the beatitudes. Do you know why they're called the Beatitudes? I don't even say it. This is the this this is the real answer. The beatitudes, it's just the Latin phrase that means blessed are. Because that's how each one of these starts, blessed are, blessed are. But we like to say they're the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. Meaning these aren't the list of things that you need to do in order to be a follower of Christ. These are the things that followers of Christ are. Do you understand? It's not a prescription on how to be a follower of Christ. It's a description of what a follower of Christ is. It's very important. This isn't like God saying, you need to do all these things to be a Christian. He's saying, no, if you're a Christian, these are the characteristics that you will have. The B attitudes. Now, the word blessed, maybe you have a version that says happy, happy are. Um, Maybe yours, like mine, says blessed. But the word blessed here is makarios in Greek, makarios. And that word in Greek means when God gives benefit. And what that word blessed right there is telling us is that Jesus, when he says blessed are, and he goes on to the poor of spirit or whatever it is we're going to see, blessed are, that means that he's not talking about earthly benefit. He's talking about spiritual realities, You have to remember this as we go through these things because it's going to help you to understand what it is that he's actually saying. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's not talking about any kind of a temporal or earthly situation. He's talking about a spiritual reality. That's why he uses the word makarios. There's a different word for blessed. When Mary went to see Elizabeth when she was pregnant and Elizabeth was pregnant, and and she says, blessed are you among women, that's a different word. That just means one to be praised. But then she talks about, then she uses, Elizabeth uses the word makarios when she talks about what a blessing Mary will receive from God for the being the mother of Christ. It's a completely different word. This is um, supposed to point us towards the spiritual realities of what we're talking about in these beatitudes, not earthly or temporal benefits as a result of. Does that make sense? All right, it will more as we go through. So he starts off and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people have taken this poor in spirit to understand, to say like depressed or down, like Eeyore. <laughs> you know Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? All yeah. oh, right. <laughs> oh, my house blew down again. It's not that. That's not what this means. Poor in spirit doesn't mean depressed or down. It means spiritually bankrupt. Poor in spirit means spiritually bankrupt. It's, it's like this. Um, emptied one's heart of everything but Christ. Poor in spirit means that your heart is emptied of everything but Christ, spiritually bankrupt, meaning that you realize spiritually on my own, I have nothing to offer of any value and that I can empty out my spiritual account so that I am. When you're poor in something, what does that mean? You have none of that thing. If you are poor in money, you have no money, okay? If you're poor in spirit, that means spiritually speaking, you have nothing of value, to offer to Christ, but that's a good place because when you are emptied of when you are emptied spiritually on your own, you then are able to be filled with Christ. That is the kingdom of heaven. It's like um. It's like a bank account. I had a friend a number of years ago, and uh, she was not a believer. She was living with her boyfriend, and they each had their own bank accounts. She would put her money into her account, and he would put his money into his account, um, and that made it very complicated when they went to do things together, like grocery shop or go out to dinner, because it was always like, well, who's going who's gonna to pay? I mean, am I supposed to take my card out, or are you taking out your card? Because they had separate accounts. It was complicated, right? So um, that's not what this is talking about, because that's like, well, I have my account, you have your account. That would be like saying, well, God, I've got my account, and you've got your account, and maybe we could both just kind of share and got to say no no it doesn't work like that you're not poor in spirit when my wife and I got married we took all of her money and all of my money and put it into one joint account and there still was no money we were still poor <laughs> but in that sense, both of our names were on that account. Like with two accounts, like, like if we had separate accounts, I couldn't go and take money out of her account, and she couldn't take money out of mine and, or contribute. But with a joint account, we're both on it, and so that we both can contribute, and we both can, you know, um, withdraw from that account. And that's still not what God's talking about, because that's like you're saying, well, God, let's just share I'll put in some, you put in some, we'll combine it together, we can both take out of it. And God is saying, no, that's not spiritually poor. Spiritually poor is, you're not on the account. You are not on the account. You are filled with Jesus Christ. That is the account which then he draws from. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to get to the place where you have to realize, I don't have anything to offer. It was all Jesus. Jesus. When you get to it's all Jesus, then the kingdom of heaven is yours. Do you understand? Jesus would say, when you have only me in your hearts, there is the kingdom of heaven. So then he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And this is a very popular verse for people to use in like funerals. Okay, but that is an earthly benefit, and that is not what Jesus is talking about right here. He says that, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when he talks about mourn, he's saying, blessed are those who's, who mourn over their sinful condition. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, who realize I am a sinner, and I need Jesus. Mourning over the sin, a Christian mourning over their sin is what drives them to repentance. Without mourning over your sin, then you have unconfessed sin, and you just go on and on and on. But he says, "Blessed are those who are filled with Jesus, um, know that they're spiritually bankrupt, and mourn when they sin." How many of you? Uh, you know what? By show of hands, how many of you still sin occasionally? Okay. When you sin, <laughs> thanks, Gussie. <it. laughs> when you sin, there is a mourning over that that feels like, I can't believe I did that again. Or, Lord, I, I, you know what? In the moment I wanted that, but now I know it was sinful. Um, that is the mourning over your sin that drives you to come to the Lord and say, Would you please forgive me for this again? Now, here's the beautiful part every time you do that, He says, You're forgiven. You're forgiven every time. And then you can be like, Forgiven. now the devil sneaks in and is like you think it's that easy you think you could just go to God and ask him to forgive you and he does it every? you did it yesterday and the day before the day before and you're going to do it again tomorrow why should he why should he forgive you and he gets into your head and he starts to weight you down like that and Jesus says <laughs> you're bad to the bone he says I can't guarantee that I can work everyone's ringtone into the sermon. So if you have your phone on, just check real, just switch that off right now. (laughs) The devil wants to weight you down. And Jesus says there's freedom in the confession and the forgiveness of sin. And he says that it is your mourning over sin that will drive you to confession. Turn with me right now over to Isaiah chapter 6. I think, (laughs) let me double check, Isaiah chapter 6, if you don't know where Isaiah is, like right in the middle. This is a good example of someone mourning over their sin and then seeing repentance and then being used by God. I'm going to read it. Here it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Two covered his face and two covered his feet, and with two he flew. And he cried to the other one and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And all and the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with smoke and so I said woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts see Isaiah sees the reality or comes to face to face with the reality of a holy God and he mourns over his sinful state woe is me I am undone he says But that is the moment for him of repentance, coming and saying, I am a sinful man in the presence of a holy God. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah, faced with the reality of a holy God, comes to mourning over his sinful state where he says, I am undone. But he is confessing in that moment. And God sends an angel down, basically saying to him, your iniquities are forgiven you. And then he says, now who can I send? And Isaiah is like, Send me, send me, Lord. And this is what Jesus is talking about. The mourning, those who mourn over their sin will be comforted. When God says, when your sin brings you to a place of mourning that drives you to repentance and you are forgiven, you are comforted with the knowledge to know that when you confess your sins before Jesus Christ, he forgives you of your sins and you are clean again and you are to be comforted. Amen? Amen. Amen blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The meek. Do not get into your head that the meek means weak. It's actually completely opposite. Meek is, think of it this way, gentle strength or strength restrained. For some reason I have in my head, um, Superman, Clark Kent, you know, Clark Kent didn't change from being Superman. He just, you know, put on a pair of glasses. And apparently that's all it took. <laughs> he's like Superman flying around, no mask on, puts on a pair of glasses, and nobody recognizes him. <laughs> I remember a scene in one of, the, one of the Superman movies with Christopher Reeves where, as Clark Kent, he's trying to open up a pickle jar. And he can't do it, so he hands it to Lois Lane, and she pops it open. right? And it was like, could Clark Kent have opened that pickle jar? But he had strength that was restrained, right? Meekness is strength restrained. And so, you know, even though we have, um, uh, you know, power or, or strength from the Lord, sometimes he says it needs to be restrained. And look, there's a reason for it because he says um, they, I lost my place. Um, the, the, the meek for, for they shall inherit the earth. So, inherit is the word in Greek, obtain. The idea is that we don't need to, um, be, even though we have the strength of the word of God behind us, we're not to use that strength to try and rip the world away from the hands of the unbelieving people that we know. We're not supposed to use our strength and rip it away from them, but rather we're supposed to meekly, gently lead them to Jesus and let him Take over. That's the idea is like when you share the gospel with Jesus Christ, of Jesus gently with those, rather than say, let me rip the world away from you, unbelieving people, when you say, let me share with you Jesus and let Jesus take over from that moment, then that person then hopefully believes in Jesus, and then that person does the same, and that person does the same, and eventually everyone comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that is how we inherit the earth. You understand? We don't rip it away. We obtain it by bringing people to Jesus in meekness, in humility, in gentleness, and in love. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I want to point out to you, hunger and thirst, um, in Greek it is who are hungering and thirsting. That's an ongoing thing. That means like I, if I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it's not like I can read about it one time and be like, and check, got it. I'm fulled up now. I'm, I'm full up on, on righteousness. This says that it's hungering and ongoing hungering and an ongoing thirsting for righteousness. But what is righteousness? Now, unfortunately, this is another one of those words that people have said, well, that means you know social justice causes and that's what we should be fighting for. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. When he talks about righteousness, he's talking about the righteousness of the Lord, not social justice causes. So he's saying that blessed are those Remember, we're talking about spiritual realities, not earthly or temporal benefits. He said, blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting after the righteousness of God, for they will be filled. The Bible says that if you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Remember James chapter four, verse eight, if you draw near to God, he draws near to you. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. If you are seeking after God, if you are seeking after the righteousness of Jesus Christ, it says that you will be filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is what he's talking about here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So this is a tricky verse because it kind of, in in my Bible, in English, it kind of says, if you're merciful, you'll get mercy. So if I'm merciful to you, you will be merciful to me. Do you know that that's not what it says in Greek? It says, blessed are those who are full of mercy for they will show mercy. Did you know that? It, the literal translation is that they will show mercy, not be shown mercy, not obtain mercy. This is, God, this is Jesus saying, if you understand mercy, you will show mercy to others. Now, oh man, what is Mercy mercy. (laughs) What is mercy? Mercy, you remember how we said a couple weeks ago grace was like undeserved favor? Like grace is uh, um, getting something we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Right? We were at the pastor's conference and they were like, y'all deserve hell. You deserve hell. But because God is merciful, he Actually took out his judgment, poured out his judgment on a substitute for us, who is Jesus Christ, because he's merciful. See, God couldn't turn a blind eye to sin. He just couldn't. He can't do that. So what he did was, he said, I'm going to give you my son Jesus Christ, who will bear the judgment of sin on your behalf. That's mercy.) Oh. In Exodus 34, just jot this one down. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions on sin. This is God talking to Moses and saying, Go up and make two more tablets, and I'm going to give you this list, because you know what had happened. Moses came down with the original two tablets and saw that the entire people um, were worshiping idols and dancing around in a naked orgy, and he was so upset that he threw down God's Ten Commandments and broke the tablets. God here is saying, cut two more stone tablets and come up, and I'll give you them again. This is now after that thing happened, and look what it says of God. The very first thing it says of God, Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, first word, merciful. 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 The first attribute of God is mercy. Mercy. Holy cow. The first attribute. When you understand, and what Jesus is saying is those who understand the mercy that you've received from God are able then to show mercy to those around you. Boy, I've been so reminded of that. I've been studying for this for a couple of weeks, and this this one of the main points that God has just been drilling into my life is that the concept of mercy, oftentimes even when we're on the prayer site, um, and the prayer request will come through, and all I can think of is, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Mercy is a characteristic of God. In that list, it's the first characteristic of God. It's his nature. Mercy is God's nature. Somebody used this example. Um, The bee makes honey as part of its nature, it only stings when provoked. Mercy is God's nature. Judgment is as a result of rebellion and disobedience, but his nature is mercy. He says, as part of this list, the characteristics of a follower of Jesus is that we understand the mercy that we've received so that we can show mercy to those around us. It's not, I, I, I'm full of mercy, so I'm going to give you mercy, you're going to give me mercy, and Jesus doesn't even say, you'll get mercy, he says, you'll show it. Now, if I'm showing you mercy and you're showing her mercy and she's showing him mercy, and then he's eventually, I'm going to get mercy. That's how it works. But that's what he's saying. If you're filled with mercy and you understand the mercy you've received from God, then you will show mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart is another interesting word. I really like this. Pure of heart means unmixed, an unmixed heart, not pure, perfect. But unmixed in that the sense that you're not mixing some of you in with some of God. That idea of like, well, you know, it's a little bit me and it's a little bit God. I'm a little bit country, he's a little bit rock and roll. Any ringtones on that one? (laughs) God says that blessed are those who don't have a mixed heart, or blessed are those who whose heart are unmixed, meaning that we're holding so tightly to the world. And trying to hold on to Christ at the same time and that our hearts are mixed. He says, God says, you won't have a mixed heart. What you'll have is a divided heart. Later on, Jesus is going to say, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon or money or the world. You can't serve them. You will end up hating one and loving the other one. And he says, blessed are those whose hearts are not mixed, but who are um, not trying to hold on to all sorts of things um, and God. But remember at the beginning, poor in spirit emptied out of anything of yourself so that you can be filled with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it's an uncontaminated view of God. You know, for so long, actually, in my own life, I could think back, like, I had a completely contaminated view of God. Many people have a contaminated view of God, a, a, a misunderstanding, a mixed view of who God is. I'm like, well, you know, uh, for me, this is what I always used to think. You know, whatever God, whatever you need God to be, God's that. God's a forest, great. God's a tree. God's a mother nature. God's whatever. A contaminated view of God. I, didn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been considered pure of heart in that sense. Because my view of God was completely mixed up. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who I was in him or with him or any of it. I was completely mixed. Jesus says the, it's the pure of heart who will See God. They will have an understanding of who God is, and they will see Him operating day to day in their lives. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. <laughs> peacemakers. Peace, that seems pretty fitting, right? With the with the Jesus movement movement of peacem- peacem- Righteous. The word peacemaker here in Greek, this is what it means. One who bravely declares God's terms, which makes someone whole. This is who a peacemaker is. According to Jesus, according to his original words, blessed are those who bravely declare God's terms, which makes someone whole. Someone, and what's that mean? Someone who preaches and shares the gospel with someone else. Those who understand the mercy they've been given extends mercy to those around. Those who go and share the gospel message that changed their life so that someone else's life might be changed. That's who Jesus is talking about. That's who he calls a peacemaker. These are very specific words with very spiritual uh, meanings. They're not the 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 one-offs. The people who mourn and people who you know are trying to make peace. These are very specific to what he's talking about here. Peacemakers is someone who is declaring the terms of God. <clears throat> so here's the thing the, the Beatitudes seem like a list. Don't they kind of seem like a list? Like blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the, those who mourn. Blessed are those who, and, and sometimes what's happened is people have taken this list of Beatitudes and kind of looked at it like a menu. Like, I'm not that. I'm not, you know, I'm not especially meek and I'm not, you know, like, you know, poor in spirit necessarily, but I'm a peacemaker. And I'm hungering for righteousness. So I'm, I, I'll take those two. And somebody else might say, well, I'm not, I don't think I'm really hungering for righteousness, but I am a peacemaker. But I'm, you know, I'm, really, I'm poor in spirit. And I'm mourning also. And they try to take these things. And maybe you've done this. And maybe you've been taught this that you could take the Beatitudes as kind of a a list that you can pick from, or even study and understand individually. But you see, this list that Jesus gives us, it's not actually to be read or even understood as individual things. Blessed this one, blessed that one, blessed number one, blessed number two, blessed number three. But in fact, they all kind of are supposed to work together. In fact, one builds on the other if you really look at it. When I was looking at this, I was like, maybe what we should do is we should read it like like this just follow along okay blessed are the poor in spirit who mourn over their sin who are meek and thirst for righteousness who are full of mercy and pure of heart for theirs is the kingdom of heaven where they will be comforted and filled where they will be truly where they will truly see god for he, for who he is and be called children of god that's the beatitudes right there do so you see that takes all of this side and then and says, and all of this side. Let me read it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit who mourn over their sin, who are meek and thirst for righteousness, one full of mercy and pure of heart, for there is, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, where they will be comforted and filled, where they will truly see God for who he is and be called the children of God. That's how we are to understand the Beatitudes as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, if a person is completely reliant on Jesus, mourning over his sin, meek and seeking after God's righteousness, ready to extend mercy, what will the response of the world be towards that person? Congratulations! No. Persecution. That's what, that's what the next few verses say. See verses 10 and 11. Blessed are, the, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you, do you understand now that we talked about righteousness, what that's saying? Blessed are those who are persecuted, not because not, they're like saying, oh, you're one of those Christians, we're going to persecute you. And, and not, you know, sometimes people are persecuted just because they're kind of a jerk, you know? Don't be a jerk, right? None of this points to being able to say, like, like, I... Like, I saw a guy with a shirt on at the conference, <laughs> you know, and on the back of his shirt, it was like, and I'm I'm being careful because I, I don't mean to offend anybody, but the back of his shirt was like, I salute the flag, and I eat bacon, and I have a gun, and I believe this, and I believe that, and if you don't, if that offends you, I don't care, and I was like, okay, there's no mercy in there, though, is there? There's no grace in there, is there? I don't disagree with those things that he's saying, but it's the attitude with which he's coming across saying, you know what, I don't care. And then someone says, well, you're kind of a jerk. He's like, prosecution, yes. Oh, persecution, sorry. (laughs) I was wondering why you guys didn't respond to it because you're like, well, he must be right. He's got a microphone (laughs) persecution. Right? But if you're feeling persecuted and you look back and you're like, well, you're persecuted because you're kind of just a jerk rather than, you know, saying you're persecuted for righteousness sake. That means you're persecuted because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not your own opinion. Then he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. That all of this persecution is coming because of your connection to Jesus Christ, which, by the way, wouldn't have to be extremely obvious to everybody around you, to the person who's going to persecute you. would have to be obvious that you are pure in spirit or pure in heart. You know, spiritually bankrupt, that you're clinging to Jesus Christ, that you're thirsting and, and hungering after His righteousness, if that's obviously coming from you, then they would, they're, and they're persecuting you, then you could say, "It's because of the righteousness of God that I'm being persecuted, not because I have an offensive T-shirt on. Rejoice, he says, and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. for, they so, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And here's the thing, and I heard somebody say this. The reason you can be glad when someone reviles you because of righteousness' sake is because you know it's not really because of you. It's because of Jesus. And he can handle it. Jesus can handle it. The attacker, the reviler, doesn't have the final word. Jesus does. John would write that Jesus spoke these things I've spoken to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you so much this morning for this time to be able to come together and open up your word. Lord, I thank you for the Beatitudes and the, the fresh light that you've poured out on it for us to be able to look at and examine ourselves within. Lord, I pray that as we march through your Sermon on the Mount, Lord, that we would be, uh, have, we, our hearts would be prepared to receive what it is that you have for us, Lord. I pray that, uh, Lord, that you would use us Lord, I pray that each one of us would go home and examine ourselves to see are we spiritually poor? Are we filled with mercy? Lord, are we mourning over our sin? Lord, I know that none of us are doing that perfectly. Lord, none of us are perfect in that way. That's why this, the process of sanctification is a process. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord. And I pray as we go out of here today that we would take this with us. Lord, that we would go out, we would extend mercy to those that we uh, come into contact with. Lord, that we would realize that we don't have to rip the world away from them. We simply need to lead them to Jesus and let him do the work, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I saved time because I want to share something from this book that I'm reading Give me a couple of minutes, get comfortable and listen. This is about a man named Fazil um, in Pakistan. It says they had first approached him outside the mosque, they, the the Taliban. Where many young Muslims were recruited, the clerics told the fatwa announcing the call to arms. He was excited and surprised to find that he was no stranger to them. They knew all about his family standing in the community, his strong religious education at the Quranic school, and his strict upbringing as a devout Muslim. They said they wanted him and they were calling him in the name of jihad. He was to be a warrior for Allah, given the honor of fighting to expel infidels from Afghanistan. Fazil became skilled in modern weaponry and in the art of guerrilla warfare that has always been so successful in the maze of mountain strongholds that is Afghanistan. He learned to kill efficiently and to hate the arrogant, invading infidel and everything for which he stood. He was a, a warrior called to jihad. Now, as he was back home, he would work in his father's business until he was called again, this time uh, for, not for training but for war. He would pray that this would, soon, this would be soon because his purpose and his destiny were rapidly approaching. Fazil knew this because he could feel it in his heart. Something was about to happen. As he sipped his tea, he looked around the busy open tea stall. No one paid him any attention. He smiled, wondering how they would regard him if they knew he was a Taliban soldier. A welcome breeze lifted the fringe of his hair, and he lifted his face and closed his eyes to enjoy the momentary relief of the heat. As he opened again, he saw a dust devil a little way off, red and rising and twirling as it danced in circles, a foot above the ground, slowly moving toward him. And among the red was a flash of white, and he watched until it died and a scrap of paper landed at his feet. He reached down and picked it up. It was a part of a torn page of a book, a very thin and fragile page. The words were printed very small but clear. He read it, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fazil looked away for a second, and then he read it once more. He had no idea what it was, but he knew it was not from the Koran, so he crumpled it in his fist, intending to throw it away. But even as he raised his arm to toss it, he knew he could not. He had to finish reading it. Opening his hand, he smoothed out the paper and read on, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Something inside him stirred mercy. There could be no mercy for his enemies. Mercy had no part in his recent training, and surely the kingdom of heaven is for the strong, not the born spirit. He could not accept this, but as he read the words over and over, he felt their power, and he knew with his whole heart and with his whole mind that this was truth. For where did this teaching come? Some weeks later, he received a call to jihad. He packed up his things, bid his proud father farewell, then left his home, but he did not report to the Taliban because he could not. Instead, he stayed at the home of a close friend, hiding out from his family, the Taliban and the world. Fazil was in an agony of doubt. It was not fear that had changed him because Fazil was no coward. No, it wasn't fear. It was something else, something that he did not yet understand. He carried the scrap of torn paper everywhere. He kept looking at it, reading it, and wondering why it was so powerfully affecting him. What else could prevent him from responding to the call for jihad when it had been his life's ambition a month ago? It goes on to say that he actually gets in contact with a Christian who was a Muslim, who agrees to meet with him in a Christian part of the village that he's in. He hands him the paper, and he says, what is this? Is it Christian? And the man read it and nodded, yes, it's Jesus, he replied. It's about Jesus, the prophet, Fazil asked, frowning. No, this has been torn from the Bible. This is not about Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. The Christian shared, uh, stared into Fazil's face defiantly. And Jesus is not just a prophet, he is God and the Savior of the world. But Fazil was not listening to this. He was thinking of what the Christian had said before the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus. Everything except the realization, everything seemed to stop. Suddenly, there was nothing in Fazil's existence except the realization that Jesus Christ had spoken to him. He recognized instantly that he had been called in pure love, and he fell to his knees and cried out in utter despair at the brutal awareness of his own sin. The Christian also fell to his knees, putting his arms around Fazil, comforting him. After some minutes, he led him in a prayer of repentance, forgiveness, and acceptance. Had two verses of the Word of God brought this man to repentance and salvation. The same two that we just read. I don't know the state of everybody's heart here today, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to. You need to do that. You have before you the word of God. It's powerful. It saved this man. There was no witness to him except for the two verses of the word of God that spoke to him so deeply that he could not throw that paper away. It changed him from being a highly trained jihad warrior to someone who realized he was poor in spirit. And he turned his life over to Jesus. And If that's you today, I pray... I'm going to pray. Let's all pray right now. Lord, I just pray right now for anybody here who's realizing, Lord, that they have no hope without you, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit might be speaking to them right now. Lord, saying, Jesus died for your sins. Do you believe that? I pray that that person, in response to that voice, that question, would say, I do, I do believe that now. I believe that I'm a sinner, and I accept Jesus as my Savior. Lord, help me to be emptied out so that I might be filled up with Jesus, that I might have that thirst and that hunger for righteousness, Lord. I might have an unmixed heart so that I might see God, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And if you, if you prayed that today, your life has changed. It's changed. The Bible says you're a new creation. New. If you prayed that today, I beg you, please come and tell me that you prayed to receive Jesus today.